Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Oh, man. This story of Morton Downey Jr. has more facets to it than is... We could talk for weeks about... And we're gonna. And so I wanted to know more about this guy that was smoking a million cigarettes, blowing smoke in people's faces, (laughs) and uh, those red socks and those big teeth which I call them the gates of hell. um... Let me tell you something. More people have been killed in the name of Jesus. You know, we've had the Crusades War. We've had all these wars. They've all been killed by guys like you who now preach forgiveness. You guys were going to forgive if you could drive the bull up the butt. Watching his show was like grabbing a live electric current. You didn't even have to agree with him, and many times you, you, you might not. But right. that it was magnetic. He was uh, a lobbyist. He worked for um, the Carter administration. He worked with Nixon. He uh, was very close to Ronald Reagan. Well, as we celebrate the 4th tonight, all right, there's a war going on in the streets of America, a war on drugs and the slime that smuggles them in and the low lives that sell them to our kids. And now there's a group in this country that says, hey, let's legalize all the drugs, make them as American as apple pie. And how even Uncle Sam is probably a drug dealer. Join us. What they used to do was give him in his coffee cup, there'd be a, um, instead of coffee, there would be vodka. And so he would be drinking vodka in between, you know, all of his segments. He lit a cigarette with the flick of the bick. I turn around, I look at him, and our eyes met. And he just made a straight line to me. And he said, has this ever happened to you before? Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Monday, January 6th, 2014, episode 188. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show. You know, back there in the 80s, I was totally transfixed by a truly amazing character named Morton Downey Jr. His show was absolutely riveting. I mean, it paved the way for reality programming, Springer, uh, and that's just like scratching the surface he discovered rush limbaugh i'm sure he would apologize uh, politics he was into uh, he knew the kennedys intimately his dad was a famous singer uh he was involved in the american basketball association and did a million other things the guy was bombastic fearless relentless over the top naturally making him a huge role model of mine who knew who knew that years later i would have the pleasure getting to know Lori Downey Jr., Mort's wife, and an entertaining, funny, wonderfully talented person in her own right who now hosts broadcasting with her friend, yeah, her friend, the incomparably gorgeous and talented Lynette Miller. Yeah, dreamy. Check them out on Facebook. You'll hear all about the amazing Morton Downey Jr. from the ultimate source, Lori Downey Jr., tonight on The Tom Gully Show. I am the Tom Gully Show Podcast Translator 3000. Translating newsmakers for humans. Translating Bristol Palin. Um, regardless of what I did personally, I just, I just think that abstinence is the only way that you can effectively 100% foolproof way to prevent pregnancy. Translation. Here's how my special brand of abstinence works. First I find a muscle-bound simpleton. Then I let him pin my ankles behind my head and pound me like a veal cutlet, encouraging him to thrust his throbbing love sickle into my pulsating meat wallet. 
over and over and over again, banging me like a screen door in a hurricane, filling my tampon tunnel with his man mustard. Then, later, believe it or not, I get $20,000 for giving a speech on abstinence. Kind of like a guy with one hand getting $20,000 to talk about lawnmower safety. This has been the Tom Gully Show Podcast Translator 3000. Good day. Some call you fat, some call you corpulent, others call you portly. I call you a customer and a friend for life. Come on in to Victor Newsies. If you got a fat ass, I ain't gonna say nothing about it. We'll suit you, you'll suit us. You come into Victor Newsies, I guarantee you're gonna leave with a suit. Come on in, you'll save a ton at Victor Newsies. I ain't bullshitting. Victor Newsies, Highway 5, out by the mall. Before we get to the interview, probably a good idea to give the uninitiated a little taste of what Mort's show was like. Uh, here's an argument on the Morton Downey Jr. show, and he's having a huge argument with some over-the-top re- religious type. And I mean, he is face-to-face and toe-to-toe with this guy. And plus, it contains my favorite Mort epithet involving the armpit. Let me tell you something. More people have been killed in the name of Jesus. You know, we've had the Crusades War. We've had all these wars. They've all been killed by guys like you who now preach forgiveness. You guys were going to no, forgive if you no, could drive the bull up the more. butt. They've been killed by guys like you. And they'll continue to be killed by guys like you. So, Mark, right. you're saying you're, you're a murderer. I'm saying I'm saying a murderer. You're a murderer. Any you're sleep, a murderer. Any sleep, murderer. Who killed murderer. Okay, getting the picture, you know, what the Morton Downey Jr. thing was all about, you know? Okay, so here's the intro of the show, and he goes into uh, a talk about legalization of drugs, okay? And what you don't see is that Morton Downey Jr. is about to conduct an interview with none other, other than recent former presidential candidate Ron Paul. Uh, this clip's on YouTube, I think. You can actually go see it. But yeah, Ron Paul, like 30 years ago, was on Morton Downey. And this is the intro for him. You know, we got a lot to thank God about as we celebrate the birthday of the greatest nation in the world. This country's faced many foes and many challenges. And we've always prevailed. Well, as we celebrate the 4th tonight, all right, there's a war going on in the streets of America. A war on drugs and the slime that smuggled them in and the low lives that sell them to our kids. And now there's a group in this country that says, hey, let's legalize all the drugs. Make them as American as apple pie. And how even Uncle Sam is probably a drug dealer. Join us. All right, now, on to the good part. Our interview with the late Morton Downey Jr.'s wife, Lori Downey which she starts off by providing an additional sound clip because she's like an awesome producer. I mean, even even for my show as a guest, she's a better producer than I am as the producer. Well, I had a thing happen this weekend that really knocked the wind out of me. Uh, I don't even know why, one, that I go out. I don't know why I go anywhere. And, and I, I, don't, I, I never know. Is, all right, I'm going to tell you the story. You tell me. Is it me or is it something else? Okay. So uh, I'm at a thing, and a guy comes up to me, and he says, um, excuse me. And I said, yes, sir. He says, should I call you Mr. Downey, or should I call you Morton Downey Jr.? <laughs> he says that to me. Wow. <laughs> uh, 
and I always think of how can I get out of here fastest. That's it. So I said, well, it's your choice. And he said, well, either way, I'm glad you stopped smoking. <laughs> really? Are you kidding me? That is absolutely fabulous. Isn't that great? That is like the perfect thing to begin our conversation because most of my viewers know that I'm the recipient of the first David Letterman scholarship and a big Dave Letterman fan. And I have to say that, you know, right after I won that, I got out of college and I started watching this show that came on late one night. I'm living in the middle of Indiana, which is bad enough to begin with, but (laughs) I see this show. And I was just riveted by it the very first time I saw it. I couldn't even believe that there was a show like this, okay? Mm -hmm. And it was, of course, the Morton Downey Jr. show. Now, Lori Downey, who we're speaking to right right now, and who was, I'm not worthy. I'm just so not worthy to talk to you. Thank you so much for playing that. Um, Was married to the late, great Morton Downey Jr., one of the most iconoclastic figures in broadcasting history. Lori, of course, had a front row seat to the man, his show, and everything else that totally pioneered the worlds of talk radio and television and reality TV as we know them today. He was totally over the top. And without Morton Downey Jr., there would be no Rush Limbaugh for a variety of reasons. There would be no Glenn Beck. There would be no Tom Likas. There would be no Jerry Springer or you name him. Here with us tonight to tell us all about the revolutionary and multi-talented man that was Morton Downey Jr. is the very lovely and talented Lori Downey. Lori, welcome to the program. Thank you, John. I hopefully I I that was gushy enough. I, I tell you what, sometimes <laughs> on this show I I just gush over people that were were my idols and I've worked in advertising and communications my whole life and I've met, you know, famous people all the time. But every now and then there's somebody that just changed my world so much that that I, I gush. Um, well, you had to be really young back then when you first saw his show. I was seven. No, I think I was like <laughs> I was like twenty five. I think it was nineteen eighty eight. So that'd be I would have been uh, yeah t- twenty five years old. Yes. Wow. And uh, now, if we go back to the beginning, not not his beginning, but but the beginning of when you met Mort. And should I call him Mort or or Morton or or Sean? Morton Downey was the man that you saw on television every night. Mm-hmm. And Sean was the man that I married. Okay. Well, I'm going to call him Mort, and you can call him Sean. And hopefully that will confuse people enough that they'll pay closer attention. But Right. They'll think I had an affair. <laughs> if, if I'm not mistaken, you were, and you are, a very talented dancer, and that's what you were doing when you met Mort. Now, can you right. describe when you two met and kind of how you two first began dating and such? Well, first of all, I was working in Atlantic City waiting to go on Broadway in a show called Bodacious at the Showboat Casino. And Morton was going on the road taking the Morton Downey Jr. show from town to town. And so they had set up their cameras because they chose our cast to do his promotions, that he was live in Atlantic City. It's the Morton Downey Jr. show. So I had just come from doing two shows that night, and prior to that I was in Manhattan. I was doing different acting things at the time. I was just out of my mind, just hustling and... Anyway, so part of our contract was to promote the show any way we could, and we had to stay and do this promotion. So I was tired. I, I just really wanted to go home. I, I knew Morton was coming. The girls were all excited. It's like, oh, my God, we've got a star coming tonight. And so they set up the cameras, and uh, Morton was late, and he came through the back door of the stage, and the, the curtains moved, you know, when the back the stage door was open, and in came this man. We're all in feathers, by the way, feather boas, and we've got, like, the big headdress on because it's it's like a uh, Las Vegas review in Atlantic City, mm-hmm. if you can imagine, much smaller uh, version. And so when he came in, he lights a cigarette, and I thought, holy, we're going to go up in flames. <laughs> so he lit a cigarette with the flick of the bick. I turn around, I look at him, and our eyes met, and he just made a straight line to me. And he said, has this ever happened to you before? And I thought, wow, look at that. He's not even in the room three seconds, and wow, he's got all the lines. Mm-hmm. So I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So he said, my name is Morton. I said, I know. 
And so he grabbed me and he said, you know, the director wanted us to come downstage toward the camera. And it was just walking in our costumes with Morton Downey Jr. toward the camera. And that was the shot. And so he grabbed me to his right on his arm and he said, this is going to make sense to you later. And so at the end of the shot, I said, my name is Lori. Two nights later, he wrote me a note that came backstage and said, talk is cheap, love is priceless. Will you have dinner with me tonight? Morton. And so I went. Oh, man. But I took a girlfriend with me because I was a little bit nervous. I thought, wow, he's got a very strong personality. And uh, he didn't say that line to me, you know, have you ever felt like this before? And I really wasn't sure where he was coming from. I thought, you know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, but I find him intriguing. And I'll tell you why. I had only seen one show prior to meeting him that night. It was about insurance. It was about women paying more insurance than men. And so I learned a lot about car insurance that night. And I thought, wow, he taught me something on his show. And so I wanted to know more about this guy that was smoking a million cigarettes, blowing smoke in people's faces, <laughs> and uh, those red socks and those big teeth, which I called them the gates of hell. And, um, you know, I, I, was, I was intrigued. So I, I was, you know, looking forward to going with him. And we, uh, we ended up going to a Chinese restaurant in Atlantic City, which is no longer there, unfortunately. And uh, we just talked the entire evening. It was wonderful. Oh, wow. Now, see, he's even more my idol now. I, I, I just, I don't have that. He, he was obviously a, uh, you know, a magnetic personality is, is one of the ways I can put it. I, I'm, I'm just, to this day, when I say right. the words Morton Downey Jr., I can tell how with it someone is. And I forgive the younger generation, but somebody my age or even 10 years younger, if I say those words and they just have no idea, I, I just say, how could you not have known are you the, living in a vacuum? Exactly, because uh, watching his show was like grabbing a live electric current. You didn't even have to agree with him, and many times you you, you might not. But right. that it was magnetic. The 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 interaction and everything else. So, again, I'm gushing. Now, what was he like off camera and away from the microphone as compared? to on the show and what do you think would surprise most people about his personality in his private life first of all when i refer to him off the show he's sean sean was a very um shy person he he was he was a sweetheart he would give the shirt off his back for anybody and often did he um he would often take a watch he was a, a great collector of timepieces not even watches because his timepieces or watches would cost like $95,000. He had a great collection of timepieces, and he would put them on the wrist of a gardener or a man collecting garbage or, you know, a, a CEO executive of... Matter of fact, he gave one to Bill Clinton, and um, he really felt that giving people a watch, then they'd be a friend for all time, and they could be anybody. He was a very generous man. He was a very uh, caring person. He was a great humanitarian. Well, and, um, I, I, you know, doing that show, you know, he's brilliant. The man was brilliant. He was not street smart. So, you know, he was very intellectually brilliant. He he did so many things in his life that, I mean, he could have gone on to done so many things. But that show that people think went on for years and years and years, they had no idea. It only ran for two years. So I think people looked at that and they either loved him or hated him. There was no gray area. And um, if you knew him, if you had the honor of meeting him, you would have seen somebody completely different than the Morton Downey Jr. you saw on that, on that television show. Well, and, and even in researching for this show, I, I kind of had the same reaction. Are you kidding me? That was only on for two years? It seemed like right. it was on for 10 years. Right. Uh, and you have already got me off the rails. I've got all my questions here. But you mentioned the timepiece. And one of the things that struck me about uh, some of the things you were kind enough to share with me was the story uh, of uh, his father being a little bit of a racist and for- forbidding him to have a, a black friend. And uh, Morton left him a timepiece that, that basically let him know, hey, I've been forbidden to see you, but you're always going to be my friend. Right. Uh, you're talking about the butler's son, the yeah. butler who worked for Morton Sr., Morton Sr. was a great Irish tenor back in the 30s, and he was best friends with Joseph P. Kennedy. So Morton Jr. was raised with Bobby and, and JFK and uh, Teddy. And uh, the, summer, the Summer Downey House became the Summer White House for the Kennedys in Hyannisport. And um, 
the butler was a black man that that Morton senior you know he loved him he did a great job but he had a son that lived up there it was Wallingford Connecticut at the time and the young boy was teaching Morton as a young boy how to make a knife out of wood he was you know chipping away this wood and his father came home and found that he was you know talking to this black child and whooped him with an elephant tusk and uh wow. you know he, yeah and so Morton Jr. went and took his watch and he put it under the mat and left it for the boy and said, you know, you're a friend for all time. That's when it started. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and he was uh, quite an advocate. We'll get to that later. People of my, let's say my father's gener- generation would know of Morton Downey Sr. as a legendary singer and radio performer and uh, uh, kind of growing up in the shadow of that. And his mother, Morton's mother, also from a very famous performing family, if I'm not mistaken. The Bennett family, you're correct. Joan and Constance Bennett were Morton's aunts, and Barbara Bennett was his mother. She was a great dancer, and she was a great actress. And uh, she and Morton met on a film called Syncopation. And when the film came out, RKO Pictures, and Barbara Bennett, Morton's mother, shined. She was much better performer than Morton. He ordered the picture to be destroyed. And so Joseph P. Kennedy told him, Morton Sr., that he had destroyed that picture, that all of the film was destroyed. And um, it turned up years later when Morton became famous and someone from Russia had sent him a VHS recording of the show called Syncopation. Oh, man. This story of Morton Downey Jr. has more (laughs) facets to it. Then is you, you we could talk for weeks about and we're gonna we're gonna because I want to get into some of this. Uh, his I guess would be his aunt was Joan Bennett from Dark Shadows and the original Moby Dick and and countless other films. Um, it kind of is a running theme that his father was was very jealous of people that would perform better than him or that. He he kind of was keeping Morton himself down in certain instances when he would perform and, and didn't like to be upstaged at all. Right. Well, he wanted Morton to have a political life like the Kennedys. And so Joseph and Morton Sr. would get together and decide who was going to be, like what state they were going to be, a congressman or a senator or whatever. And Morton never really wanted to be that guy at that time. He just wanted to perform. And so he wrote his first song, Money, Marbles, and Chalk, when he was 12 years old. And Patty Page later recorded that. He had that gene in him. He had that performance in him. He loved singing. He wrote over 400 songs. He loved performing. He loved being famous. But his father didn't want that for him. He said time and time again, there's only room for one star in this family, and don't you ever forget it. Wow. And, and of course, extremely close friends with the Kennedys. One of the things also, he was engaged to Lee Remick. uh, Again. Never got over her. And, uh, well, he, he did pretty well toward the end, Laurie, if you ask me. Uh, but Lee Remick, I mean, va-va-voom. I mean, what a stunning beauty. And then, of course, kind of tragically, the engagement broke up. Right. Morton had given her a promise ring. He was too young to get married. And he was going to college, I think, at NYU at the time. He was going to school or the academy at that time. And there was a family gathering at the summer house, the compound of the Downies and the Kennedys in Hyannisport, and he got there early. He came in his little sports car, and he was excited about seeing Lee Remick, and um, so he got there early, and he decided to walk on the beach because he was nervous. He was going to see his fiancée, and then he found her in the dunes with JFK, and um, he was just beside himself. He was so devastated and hurt, and the pain that went on from that, I mean, he trusted Jack, and he loved Lee. And so he left that day. He got in his sports car, and he just took off. He never stayed with the family that day. Wow. Tragic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so and the, he never got over her. Never, ever got over her. He always loved her. Well, you, you mentioned that he wrote over 400 songs. Why do you think he never went into that full-time career? Was it because of his father's influence, or did he just get into politics and find that he loved it a lot? He was a very interesting character. He wrote music when he was depressed. He wrote great lyrics, and, uh, and he recorded those things when he was depressed. And then after he recorded those things, he would go on to either a, um, politics. He was uh, a lobbyist. He worked for um, the Carter administration. He worked with Nixon. 
He uh, was very close to Ronald Reagan. He was all over the place at that point. And uh, he also had a great love for the unborn child. So he was a, a strong advocate for, you know, the unborn child. So um, he he wanted to be famous more than anything, but he had these issues that he really felt he needed to um, change. He'd always say to me, you know, there are a lot of laws in this country that shouldn't exist. And until you lobby to change them, they're going to continue on. And people aren't going to realize what hit them until it hits their backyard. And I think that's why he became so passionate about issues. He was in radio for many, many years before he became famous on his talk show, his television talk show. Uh, yeah, and his brushes with Ernie Kovacs is another big idol of mine. And I learned from you that Mort had actually written for Ernie and then tragically, you know, right before he's supposed to uh, see the song or record the song, Ernie Kovacs, of course, dies in in the uh, the, the car accident. Uh, you also uh, let me in on a story, which I think is also this guy is so amazing. If you wrote this into a screenplay, nobody would ever, ever, ever believe it. Um, oh, believe me, I pitch it all the time. It's just it's so much to handle. It's like which story do I tell first? The Biafran Civil War and the being Biafran in War. yeah the the the, the uh, being in front of a, a firing squad for crying out loud. He went over there to, uh, he had many, many jobs. He um, went over there to build hospitals, the World Mercy Fund, and they were going to be putting hospitals around the world. And he um, went with Father Rooney. And uh, when they got there, the war broke out. And so Father Rooney had been teaching these different tribes um, Catholic, teaching them, the, you know, Catholic religion. And so um, together they started to smuggle the Biafrans in the back of a car to take them to safety. They took doctors and lawyers and the strongest people from the tribe so they could continue on. And um, he was caught by a firing squad. He was caught by a chief, and they were put before a firing squad because they um, executed the, the kids in the back, everyone that was in the back of the trunk. It was an, an old station wagon with a board that they put over um, the people that they were smuggling through for safety. And uh, they were caught. They were the people in the back were executed. They brought him over, and then Morton and Father Rooney were put before a firing squad, and and they were said to be killed that day. Until a a, a man from the tribe said, "Wait a minute, that's Father Rooney." And because the tribe, the the, the uh, head of the tribe knew him, that's how they saved their lives. But he caught malaria three times during the Biafran War, and he went back. He continued his work there. I I, I just like how can anybody that was on his talk show, possibly intimidate a man who'd been in front of a firing squad. Um, he, he was famous for the, the phrase, pablum puking liberals, uh, but he wasn't always a Republican. The, the stand that uh, President Carter took wasn't strong enough against abortion, so he became a Republican. Uh, he was involved with the, uh, the Buccaneers and the ABA. He ran for president, but let's, let's get down to the show. How did Mort himself feel about the show, doing the show, and, and all the various aspects of it? Well, first of all, he loved being famous, but like I said, the show ran for two years. And back then, he said, you know, he, he was very smart. What they used to do was give him in his coffee cup, there'd be a, um, instead of coffee, there would be vodka. And so he would be drinking vodka in between, you know, all of his segments. And if he wasn't, like, strong enough or like that pit bull, they would break ampules under his nose, his producers would, in between, you know, commercial breaks. And um, he, he wanted to change the show. He went to his producers, his executive producers, and he said, look, if we just, if we just put a plant on the court of the stage, you know, because every seven minutes people need a break. They need something to look at other than my teeth in someone's face. And, you know, they, you know, we need to change the format. Just dress it up a little bit so we give the folks at home a break. And uh, they, they wouldn't do that. And not only was he doing the Morton Downey Jr. show on television, he was doing personal appearances. So that was seven days a week he was doing that show. And uh, he just really burned out. He said, you know, I can't change it. There were days that he went after people and he felt bad about it. He would come home and cry. You know, and he said they didn't deserve it, but you know it was the way that they wanted the producer wanted the show to go. Well, he would. So they did. I'm sorry. Go ahead. They didn't want him to be the kinder, gentler Mort at that time. They wanted him to be that piranha. Well, and the the shows he did from the Apollo. I mean, he would go into the lion's den, or he would invite the lions into his studio. There has never been 
as confrontational a show in the history of television. What was it like for you at that time? I mean, he was doing so many revolutionary things, the opening of the show and coming from the back of the stage and everything else. What was it like for you personally uh, while he was doing that? Well, first of all, I want to go back to the Apollo Theater that you brought up just a second ago. That was Roy Innes and Al Sharpton, and he was live at the Apollo Theater shooting his television show. And, you know, there was a heated discussion where there was a fist in the face, and uh, he got in between the two of them. He said, you know, if you show your black brethren that this is the way your conduct, you're, you're always going to be held down. And so he didn't want them to fight. He wanted them to both show their side of the coin because both had equal value, but he didn't want them going down to that level. He really wanted to see the African-American, you know, rise to the top because he felt that just because of the color of their skin, they, they shouldn't be held down. So he was very passionate about this. And, you know, from the watch, you know, from the butler's son to the Biafran War to now his show with Al Sharpton and Roy Innes, he really cared about you know, the spirit, the human spirit. And he, you know, he was a really terrific man. Now, getting back to your question with me, uh, how I felt about it, you know, I saw Sean, Sean, I almost said Sean, because he had me lose my New York accent. I used to talk like this. I had doors <laughs> and coffee and yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I couldn't talk like, uh, I could talk like this all day long. And he'd say to me, you know, um, you need to lose your accent. I said, what accent? And he'd say, um, you know, people are always going to judge you where you come from. And you don't want them to do that. And you don't ever want them to know where you're going because they'll be there to stop you. And so his whole thing, so I went and I started, you know, I thought, okay, if I'm holding you back, or I'm holding you down and I talk like this and I, I look dumb around you, then I'll learn how to talk. And so I took speech classes and it became very proper. And the phone became the phone. And so everything was completely different. And, uh, and then he'd give me three words of the dictionary every day. And um, I think the first word I picked was enveloped. And uh, we're out one night, and I, he said, I want to hear that word that you studied all day. I want to hear what word you picked. And I said, okay, I'll use it. And so we're with Donald Trump and Ivana Trump, and a bunch of us are watching the fight at, at the, up there in New York. And uh, I said, you know, I was enveloped today. <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, he worked so hard and helping me become a polished person. And then he would give me the first, he would give me the first and third pages of the, of the newspaper, and he'd give me a test every day. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm working so hard in my accent, and I'm learning three words a day, and I've got this test every day. Of what, and I said, why do I have to do all this? What, why? And he said, because I never want you to parrot anybody else's opinion. I want you to have your own, and you've got to read the history. And so he was a great educator, and he was... You know, he gave a lot of people opportunity, a lot of people opportunity. And if you got on that program and you wanted to succeed and you wanted to be a better person, then you did succeed. And a lot of people did succeed from his show or knowing him. And then there are those that hung on to his coattails and, um, and didn't, you know, decide to take that opportunity. It's like that story that if you give a man a fish versus you teach a man how to fish. And that was who he was. Well, I know some folks that actually worked with him here in Dallas, and, and they just speak glowingly, uh, and they, they do talk about the fact that he was totally different once the microphone was turned off, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. the, than, he, than he was on the air. He was just a, a, a tremendous gentleman. They spoke very uh, glowingly of you as well, um, and uh, he took on anyone and anything. He was totally fearless, uh, you know, the KKK, the Aryan Nation punks, abortionists, you name it. Now, what was your favorite thing about his show? When it was over. And that was because of the toll that it was taking on him, probably? Because he wasn't happy doing it any longer. And, um, you know, there were other things that he wanted to accomplish, and there were other things that he wanted to do. And so I just wanted him to be happy. And that's the God's honest truth, you know? And so I was happy for him when it was over, because it's really what he wanted. He wanted to move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we would, we we did. We we went on to do many many different shows. We'd sit around the kitchen back in the day. We worked with a lot of wonderful people, and you know it's like you have an idea and you pass around the kitchen table. Then you go to pitch it. Then you raise the money. Then you get the show. Then you, and we would do that. And we did a lot of shows together. And we did the kind of shows that he wanted to do. But unfortunately, at that time, people were looking for that, you know, that old Mort. And at this point, he wanted to be the kinder, gentler Mort. He felt that he could still 
convey the message without getting in someone's face or being hurtful. Well, and, and exercise that great intellect and actually get to the heart of, of the issues and, and whatnot. One of the favorite things that I've encountered in, in learning more about Mort uh, through the, that great website that you have is the, um, uh, I went to YouTube and I saw the Stuttering John incident. And without going, <laughs> without, I personally feel, and I'm a tremendous Howard Stern fan, I think that Howard Stern at that time in his life was terrified of Morton Downey Jr. and what he was doing. Uh, but I, the thing that struck me about the whole incident was you uh, and your just very uh, eloquently, very, uh, you know, in a very sophisticated manner, just trying to diffuse the entire situation. Yeah, that's what I would do. But, you know, we had just got done shooting Monsters, which is a TV show, one of the TV shows we worked on together as actors. And we just wrapped, and it was our second year anniversary together and we were in Reigns, New York and you know um, some people had gotten through with media credits and they were not invited um, I can't think of his name um, oh gosh Matt was here to tell me um, it was another show Richard Bay oh, yeah. so Richard yeah. Bay snuck in there what a piece of crap Richard Bay snuck in there and he got Stuttering John in there and that's how the incident started but the funny thing about that was the tape recorder was smashed and the tape was missing. I still have that tape. Oh, yeah? I have the original unedited Howard Stern tape with Stuttering John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you should send it to Jay Leno. There's a copy of it to Jay Leno's show. Um, you know, uh, I, I can you talk about the fact that not only was Mort directly responsible for Rush Limbaugh getting his first real big, you know, uh, break. In I mean, I know Rush had been on uh, numerous stations, but the, the gig in Sacramento was his, his real launching point. And the fact right. that there would be no Jerry Springer or Geraldo or Glenn Breck or anyone else without Mort. Well, going back to Sacramento, um, Mort got fired for calling a Chinaman a chink. He was a city official, and so he was fired for that. And so he recommended a kid that he heard out of Kansas, and that was Rush Limbaugh. And through Morton's entire career, or Rush, while, while Mort was still here, Rush denied that up and down. I mean, he just would deny that Morton had anything to do with his career and bringing him into Sacramento until the day he died. And when he died, that's when Rush Limbaugh, on his show, went back and then finally did share the story that it was Morton that brought him into Sacramento. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, at the height of his popularity uh, with the show, perhaps, uh, there was the famous skinhead incident in San Francisco uh, at the Ooh, airport. Yeah. Can, can you talk about the real story behind that? Because I know at the time, I think that the, the media at large was trying to make Mort to be out to, you know, they had it in for him, I think, and uh, right. taking a lot of pot shots, and, and they really made it seem like he trumped up that whole incident. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, well, back in the day, they, they tried to say that he was homophobic, which he was not. His brother Tony was dying of AIDS, and he put more than a million dollars into St. Vincent's Hospital at the time because, you know, it was new. AIDS was new back then, and people were suddenly dying, and his brother was diagnosed with AIDS. He was not homophobic. And so when they brought on that new, it was going to be another station in, in uh, San Francisco, Morton had asked me to come with him, and I said, no, I, I'm, you know, at the time I had my career, and I said, no, I'm busy, I can't make it. And so he went out with one of his daughters and his road manager. And um, they had, before they arrived, they were given, um, somebody was going to give him bodily harm or something. So he had death, excuse me, death threats. And he asked his executive producer, he asked Bob Pittman if he could have a vest because he didn't want to be shot, and he was denied. And so he went on, and he, you know, went and did his job at the station, and after that they had a party on a yacht. And so he was, after the party, he had a couple of vodkas, and then he was going to be returning back to New York that night. And um, then there was the incident. He went to use the restroom before he got on the plane, and uh, and he said he was attacked by skinheads, and they put a Nazi, they you know, a, a sign backwards on his face, and uh, his hair was cut. Now, I'm in New York. And I flipped on the channel, and there he is on the news. They had already had those clips of him. And so I went to people in my industry, you know, I asked for people wigs or whatever in the dance industry costumes, who's the best person, I'm going to need a hairpiece, whatever. And I flew up a guy from Virginia while Mort was flying back to San Francisco. 
And so when he arrived, there were just the press was everywhere. So we had to get him out of the back part of uh, the airport. We had to bring him through another way so we could safely get him into his limousine and get him home. And so when Mort told me what happened, um, you know, we were very new in our relationship. And he was always fearful that I would, we were 31 years apart. So he was always fearful that I would meet somebody else and that I would look at him as an old man, which was not true. But he had this fear that he was going to lose me. And so at the time, he told me that um, this is what happened. And so his company didn't get behind him, and he had no voice to speak. He wanted to speak to different people in the news and stuff, and it was the uh, Bob Pittman and Mayo Stunts that said, no, you may not do this. And then finally he went to Donahue, who was his friend. Phil Donahue had him on the show, and they had me on the show. And I had just basically told him everything that Mort had told me. And so all these years that we're married and we're together for 13 years, when he was dying, he was in confession, and he was telling me about a lot of things that I um, didn't know or that I believed. And one of them was the skinhead incident. He wanted to talk to me about it. And I just put my hand up and I said, you know what? All these years we're together. I don't. All I want to know is when I asked you for the truth back in the day, this is the story you told me. Because I went through a lot with my family because my family thought he was lying. My friends thought they were lying. I pulled myself away from everybody because I trusted and believed everything he told me. And so I said, whatever the truth is, or whatever you need to feel that you need to change now, please don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was obviously very difficult at the end because of his, you know, legendary cigarette smoking. And then his about face when he himself uh, started to fall prey to uh, lung cancer. Can you talk about those days and, and what that was like and the, the difficulty, obviously, that it must have, uh, you know placed upon you? Well, when Mort would get any moniker of respect, um, of uh, success, he would um, self-destruct. When it became about him, you know, he would throw it away. At the time we were working in Chicago, we were doing a television show. We were doing a, a new Morton Downey Jr. show. We were also doing radio. And he came out for a visit out here with Al Ruddy. Uh, he's done, like, the Godfather pictures, and he got the uh, Academy Award for... Um, Oh, what the heck is it? I can't think. Anyway, Al Ruddy, um, very famous producer. And they were going to do a new show called Whitey. And he loved Dana Olson, who was the writer of that. And he said, you know what? I want to go back to L.A. Because we had lived here before for a couple years. He goes, I want to go back to L.A. and I want to do sitcoms. I want to be funny. I want to be that funny guy. I said, why would you want to walk away from your own television show and your own radio show? He said, I'm burnt out. But it was more than that, because any time that he was successful, he would self-destruct. And so we came out here in 1995, and uh, he was about to do that show when, it, when we got back to uh, L.A., and the green light turned red. And so we didn't have that job, and now he had already left Chicago. And that was a very odd trip, because his car fell off the back of the... Um, of the truck when it left Chicago, it just crashed to the bottom. It didn't even make it out of the state. It like fell off the back of the truck while it was being transferred <laughs> over here. Our furniture went to another state and it went into a uh, ravine. So our boxes were everywhere because there was some kind of accident. So <clears throat> when we moved here, we didn't have any furniture. We were down one car. And a week after my car arrived, I was hit by a, um, a guy uh, who had no license. He was an Australian man and he was living in a, in a nudist colony in Topanga. Uh, canyon so it was like oh my god we're back in la and look what's happened you know so in 95 so he started having you know he had a, a cough and he wasn't feeling good and i thought you know he was you know he was born a premature baby he was only the size of a coke can and um and so he would often get um a bronchitis or pneumonia over the years that i knew him so i figured well he's just got this ammonia back or bronchitis so I, we went to a doctor and uh, they saw a spot on his lung and so shortly after that, we learned that it was um, lung cancer. And we were just devastated because, you know, we had our little girl who is now two and a half years old. And um, he had just told me, I have everything I've ever wanted in my life. I love my wife. I've got a beautiful baby. You know, I, I, everything I've ever wanted, I finally have. And then we were hit with the lung cancer. Mm. So we were devastated. And I thought, well, he's, he's a rock. He's my rock. He'll survive this. He can survive anything because, you know, he had that, he had that kind of personality where you just believe that he could make it through anything. 
And so after the first surgery, which a year later, we were celebrating the fact that he beat it, but he never believed he beat it. And he would say to me, no, it's still there. It's still there. I said, no, no, your, your records are clear and everything looks good. He said, no, no, it's still there. And then uh, finally, a couple months later, they found that there were cells that it, it was still there. So the second time they radiated and, you know, it just got into he got weaker as time went on. Yeah. Well, it's obviously he was a force of nature. So I, I imagine it was difficult to believe that anything uh, could thwart him for long. And your your story of, of even just moving to L.A., another facet of the mm-hmm. screenplay that will not be believed. I mean, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. Every single thing that comes up is it's like, can you top this? Well, of course I can top this. I've got I've got a million of them. Yeah. Um, recently, a film came out called Evocateur. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? I saw that it came out, and I'm, of course, being such a huge fan, I was interested in in finding out what it was about. But having talked to you, um, I believe that the title of it should be called Half of It. <laughs> well, first of all, what does evocateur mean? It's well, a French I mean, word. Yes, it's a French word that means someone that's per- deliberately trying to evoke or uh, not provoke, but just trying to stir things up, if, if I could be so ineloquent. If my husband was here, and that was the title of a documentary or a mockumentary done on myself, if, if I'm being him, he would have been very disappointed because that's not his audience. The title itself is, it, it, what does that represent? I mean, if you're talking about Toulouse-Lautrec or something like that, that's different. But, you know, to call it Zip It or Loudmouth or something like that, something that represented those two years, because that's all they focus on, I understand, is clips. Um you know, the, when you, the fish stinks from the top. I mean, Bob Pittman was the executive producer of those shows. He was the one that was responsible for bringing Mort into this arena. And, um, you know, he, the people that are involved are the same people that were involved uh, on his coattails. The people that went on to make something of themselves, like I said earlier, um, had nothing to do with it. These uh, folks came to me a couple of years ago, and they presented to me a two-sheet uh, of what they thought, who they thought Mort was, and they didn't capture him. So, you know, I told them, I said, well, that's not the man I knew, and I knew him very well. I could write for him. I could, I mean, I could, I knew every breath that man took. I knew everything about him, because we were inseparable. Um, we worked together. We played together. We did everything together. And so... Um, you know, the pitch, they were off, and from what I understand, it's just re-clips, it's just clips of the, the old show. They didn't know him, they didn't know what he stood for, and, uh, you know, that separates the truth from fantasy. Yeah, and I just, how can you define that man by the two years of that show? Having learned what I've learned, and just the things, I mean, I knew a lot before I even contacted you. Uh, that to me is, is, is the brilliance of Morton Downey Jr. Is that, yeah, he did this one thing that might be the, the flame that draws the, the moth or so, but there's so much more to his story and who this man was. Uh, and why, and why he did these things. Yeah. It, it just, you know, and it's like these people like in radio or television that try to mimic somebody else, unless you know why they're doing it, unless you know where that comes from then you don't really know why they did that. You don't really know what was behind the mind, you see. Oh, yeah. And it seems to me that he was uh, very frequently trying to win the acceptance of his father early on, and perhaps that that is one of the themes uh, throughout throughout Mort's life, is that he was just driven constantly for some form of attention, some form of fame. And then once he got it, it, it as you said earlier, seems like it just wasn't, enough or he grew tired or bored with it and had to move on to something else right you are in possession of all the old shows everything uh, everything now what do every you every thought that man had every pilot he wanted to write everything i've got his tapes of his last uh of the last years when he was lying in the hospital i have every thought that man when he looked back on his life i have it in his words everything that he felt and why he did it what do you plan on doing with that stuff? Because it's it's absolute. It's got to be. It's gold. I feel well. I've pitched out to a couple of uh, studios right now, and they're looking at it. It's a writer's piece. It's an actor's piece, and I hope I hope for Morton because it's what he wanted. He gets the Academy Award. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I it it they should all be on Hulu or something because. 
the the ability to go back and relive those programs, and then also to find out about the rest of Morton Downey Jr. and the whole experience and the songwriting and the political career. And there's a great photo of uh, Morton with uh, Richard Nixon uh, right. on your website. It is just absolutely, uh, it just boggles the mind. You know, he ran for president twice, and the, the second time he was on the ticket. And um, because he was sponsored by, um, oh my gosh, well, I can't think of the name of it, but they were for pro-life, and um, they took him off. But he, in 1980, he was running for president. I still have the bumper stickers, and I have uh, things that he wrote. I mean, you know, the man was brilliant. He got his thesis in, uh, in political science for uh, what's a capitalist society on abortion, you know, I mean, he was just brilliant. Yeah. Well, uh, can I ask you, this is the lightning round where I ask a whole bunch of very quick questions. <laughs> is this a game? Uh, it is a game of sorts. Um, and uh, if you can just answer them very quickly, we'll, we'll shoot right through them. And, and uh, you know, if at any point it's silly or you don't want to do it, just tell me to zip it. Uh, um, what's the first car you ever had? A Beretta. If you had to take one episode of the Morton Downey Jr. show on a desert island, what would it be? The one with his brother talking about having AIDS. Uh, When the Morton Downey Jr. story is made into a major motion picture, who should play Laurie Downey? Dakota Fanning. What was Mort's best performance on a TV show or in a movie? I think, uh, let's see. Oh my gosh. So many. Uh, what is the one? I, I can't, I can, oh gosh. It's not Monsters. It was the the other one. It's like that. Um, uh, Freddy's Nightmares or something? Yeah, something like that. What the heck was it? How come I don't remember? Uh, Tales from the Crypt, sorry. Tales from the Crypt, yes. He was excellent. Correct. Sorry, I haven't been giving you uh, correct when you get the correct answer. You've, you've gotten <laughs> oh. a perfect score thus far. Everyone oh, has good. been correct. What was Mort's best personal char- characteristic? His kindness. Correct. Who, other than Mort, is your favorite talk show host? Matt Allen. Correct. What is your favorite song to dance to? Oh, God. Sylvester. Correct. What was your favorite song of Mort's? You'll never have to ask me if I love you. Correct. Who would win in a fight between Mort and Al Sharpton? Mort. Correct. Did Mort ever tell you to zip it? Yes. And he survived. I can't believe it. Correct. Uh, Do you plan on doing your own book or film about Mort? Yes. Correct. What are you up to these days, and how can people keep track of both yourself and all things Morton Downey Jr.? Well, we keep him alive every, uh, everywhere we go, because uh, he's always going to be in my heart, and he'll be in everyone's heart until the last person passes that knew him. Um, I'm working on Outlaw Radio, which is www.outlawradio.tv with host Magic Matt. Magic Matt also hosts Sirius XM. We, uh, we do a show on the weekends, outlawradio.tv. We drink, we smoke, we interrupt, and uh, we get together with different celebrities and public figures and you know, neat people that we meet, and we talk about everything and anything. Correct. And I have to say, I listened to the show this past weekend, and Seymour... Um, Goodell. Uh, yeah. And absolutely, <laughs> I don't think I've laughed so hard in a long, long time. Uh, uh, and, of course, correct, you've received a perfect score in the lightning round. Well done. Thank uh, you. Lori, it has been a pleasure. As you know, I'm a tremendous fan of Mort's work. And having lovely. Having you share some fr- – I'm lovely. Uh, you, you need to walk by a mirror, ma'am. Um, some further, oh, hey, one of the people, uh, a friend of mine named Dave Michaels that worked with, uh, Mort here in Dallas. Contact I, I, is right. Yes. I said, uh, did you know Lori? And he said, oh my God, she was a dancer, legs up to her <laughs> eyes. Um, I just thank you so much for sharing the details on this totally incredible man. It has been wonderful. You, of course, are lovely. You are talented as well. And it has been an exquisite pleasure having you on the Tom Gully Show. If we can ever be of service to you, do not hesitate to let us know. Thank you so much, Tom, your darling. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Tom Gully, host of The Tom Gully Show, and I'm here to talk to you about The Tom Gully Show t-shirts. They're stylish, comfortable, and affordably priced. It's really a great way to show your support of the show, so we'd like you all to buy one for yourself, and even better, yourself and a friend, because they're... Hey, boss, you want to sell more t-shirts? I'm your guy. Oh, hi, Vinny. Uh, Folks, Vinny here helps out around the show from time to time. Vinny, you have a way we can sell more t-shirts? I'm all ears. Okay, what we do is we go out and we get a nun. You know, a nun. Then, if we don't sell enough shirts within about five minutes, we take a meat cleaver and we start chopping off her toes one at a time. Bam! Off flies another toe. Oh, no, no, no. Good Christ. No, no. We're not doing something like that. What makes you think something like that could even work? Well, you know, works when you use a a crippled kid instead of a nun. Folks, we'd appreciate it if you'd go to the TomGullyShow.com and buy a t-shirt or 20. Ah, uh, who can forget the thrill of seeing the timeless classic Gone with the Wind? But how many of us have seen the rarely shown prequel to that film Gone with the Slight Breeze? Through an exclusive arrangement with the major film companies, the Tom Gully Show podcast is able to bring you the prequels to some of the greatest films of all time. In this special collection, you'll see prequels like To Slightly Injure a Mockingbird, Some Like It Lukewarm, Raiders of the Easy-to-Find Ark, Room Temperature Hand Luke, Dance Lessons with Wolves, The Noisiness of the Lambs, an American werewolf at LaGuardia, 12 mildly disgruntled men, and the Texas Weed Eater Massacre, the Hollywood classic prequel collection. It's just one of the incredible benefits of listening to the Tom Gully Show podcast. Remember, this special offer won't last forever. So act now and get a free ice crusher. like to thank our very special friend Lori Downey Jr. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate Lori's friendship and most of all for her introducing me to the Positive Karma Fest that is her friend Lynette Miller. Yeah, Lynette Miller. Who mama? Check them out on Broadcasting. Look them up on Facebook, and you can learn more about Morton Downey Jr. at mortondowneyjrhome.com. That's Morton Downey, and then JR, like the abbreviation for junior, and then home.com. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. See, we grow the show that way. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little program here like a cold sore. Uh, visit the Tom Gully Show store. On Cafe Press, you can go to the TomGullyShow.com. You can uh, like the Tom Gully Show, not me, but the show on Facebook, too, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com on iTunes. You can subscribe for free, and if it's free, it's for me. Follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka as well so I can increase my clout and cred ratings like Miriam Schlossberg says. If I get enough points, we're all going to go to the Aces. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. i got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. Each night, Jay Johnson brings us in with the truth wagon. The truth, not the truce wagon. Um, you know, go check him out at jjohnsonmusic.com. Everything he's ever done is awesome. I love it all, and I can't wait to see him again live and in person. Uh, we'll take you out. As always, with Catch-22 Blues by the Hitman Blues Band, go to hitmanbluesband.com or .net, and we will see you next time. Well, the 